Welcome, everyone, to the Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. The Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek pulls off our masks for episode 109, the season, maybe series finale. See how they fly. Indeed, Pete, worth mentioning, as of this recording, no news for season two. Some speculation, which we can cover next time in our season one wrap, which is going to be dropping, Pete. It's going to, the wrapping will drop on Christmas. (laughs) Uh, We might record that a little earlier than, you know, Christmas morn. So do share your season-long feedback, uh, your season theories, etc., dear listener. Uh, you know, a little early. That way uh, we can all, you know, be asleep in our beds when the time comes for St. Nick, etc. And we have a gift for you. I know we said we would uh, announce the winner of our Apple Podcasts review um, raffle today during this podcast. We're going to push it a little bit more. Uh, so you want to get it in as soon as possible so that on Christmas Day you could be hearing your name for a special Watchmen uh, prize you're not going to want to miss out on this in the interim pete over on the pop culture podcast feed we'll be talking episode 107 of mandalorian on star wars saturday then on star wars sunday we'll be talking the rise of skywalker so a lot going on there a lot going on here busy times fun times not to mention giving you all of uh, marvel's runaways third season so check our schedule for that as well And now it's time to look under the hood of this episode. A Watchmen clapstick labeled Season 1, Episode 9, airing on December 15, 2019, clacks as Adrian Veidt records his video to future President Robert Redford on the day of his inauguration, um, meant to be viewed on the day of his inauguration, but he's recording on November 1st, 1985. Cue cards are held up and a cameraman coughs, Matt. They edit like us on the fly. (laughs) That they do. And we see the three Asian workers uh, helping him. These three workers that we saw, of course, in the graphic novel. Uh, We know that it's the final hours of their life. Uh, wider shots here. He's filming in front of the giant squid tank. No major shock there. Uh, we see more workers about everywhere, including an Asian woman pushing her cleaning cart. She goes into, then closes the door of what one can assume is his office, later revealed to be just that. Uh, she looks a tad suspicious. She goes to the computer and gives the command, untie knot. Oh, man, Pete, not only is it alternate 1985, but they don't have graphic-based user interfaces, and they got to type everything in, like untie not. Yes, the password here, Ramses II, Ramses II. Uh, a painting of Alexander the Great opens. There are vials in a refrigerated space. She grabs the one number 2346-23, Matt, the numbers. Uh, She refills a vial with gentle skin cream. 
um, and then uh, opens up a case with an injector here and uh, then recites what is actually uh, real uh, words attributed to Lady True to her brother back in uh, the third century Vietnam, turns her chair around to face the painting, legs up, forget you, Ozymandias. Yes, what one thought that injector might do, it does. Uh, we get the snowy title card, see how they fly. We see a snowy figure in a parka approaching the door, banging on it. We're told that it's 2008, and Vite himself opens the door. It's Lady True apologizing, but saying that she wants to talk. He says he doesn't talk to fans, and she may not use the bathroom either. Uh, but she hits him. Pete, with a cup of truth, says that he killed three million people and used a fake squid. Uh, he says that it's ridiculous, and she notes that that's the brilliance of it. It's so crazy, only a brilliant person could dream it up. To stave off nuclear holocaust. Um, only the smartest man in the world could come up with that, and no one gives him credit. Uh, and she, as the smartest woman in the world, just wanted to thank him for saving it. And, of course, the ego stroking of someone who will later admit he is a raging narcissist uh, by a raging narcissist uh, forces him to invite her in for tea where it's revealed that Redford won't even return his calls, believes he would have won the election without Veidt's help, as if some cowboy actor could attain the presidency, Matt. This, of course, tying back nicely to some of the early PTpedia documents, uh, which, you know, in kind of tabloid form had shared whispers of Redford and Veidt don't talk anymore, that sort of thing. Um, Back to Lady True, though, she is impressed with the baby squid transporter, and he admits to an automated, randomized system. So in terms of Lindelof, for better or worse, having learned lessons from Lost, here we have uh, a slowly increasing checklist of uh, questions herein answered. Uh, she says of this system, it's impressive, but it's a rerun. He stopped the clock, but what happens if it starts up, starts up again? He says that it would do just that. And she has an idea to re remove all the nuclear weapons from the world. Pete, that now spelling out our mission of the week, kind of, which also in an indirect way has been the mission of the entire season. Yes. And I love the uh, twice referring to amateur sleuths looking for patterns in this scene, Matt, as a pair of semi-professional sleuths look for patterns in the ninth episode of season one, hopefully more coming of Watchmen. <laughs> it's almost like they don't make this for me. They make it to be broad entertainment that's thought-provoking. And Damon Lindelof, it seems he does not type directly for me. I don't know. He, um, he doesn't type directly for you, Matt, nor does he type for me. He, he types for an audience and, and, just to entertain us. But Gene Roddenberry used to make Star Trek for me and just for me. And so was George Lucas too when he read Joseph Campbell in 1974. I digress, Pete. Uh, enough of this squabble amongst us boys. Back to Lady True who says that to save the world in such a way, it's a woman's job. Nay, the job is needed by someone without limitations. Perhaps Dr. Manhattan, who is not on Mars, but on a moon of Jupiter. 
Uh, Lady True, in fact, has sent a probe to the Jupiterian moons, and it'll be there in five years and such and such amount of time. 72 days, nine hours, and we get the flashback uh, to Europa where the uh or flash forward at this time it's a flashback for us we're, we're dr manhattan in this matt we're we're, uh, we're lost we're lost in it as well <laughs> and we're checking off answers here uh to not leave an extreme number of uh questions uh although pete i don't want to spoil the theory segment i know there's one question that's been slipping around your head ever since the season finale but we'll get there in due course take us back to true's vision so uh, her camera is going to get there in five years, 72 days, nine hours, 17 minutes. And the flash forward flashing back to Vite in the spacesuit uh, on Europa, looking at the watch, making sure that the camera picks up his uh, message to send back to Lady True all those years later when she wants to take photos of the big blue cheese, perhaps the strangest nickname given to Dr. Manhattan in an episode in which he acquires a couple new nicknames. Strangeness might be around everywhere, but we get again, a clear statement of the plan. True's vision is to transfer Dr. Manhattan's energy into her, and then she will rid the world of weapons. The machine is going to be expensive, though. Can't Vite stake her the $42 billion? You know. 42? Oh, wow. There, there it is when it could have been so neatly after the 23 and the vial. But, Pete, I'll get over that because uh, this stuff does not exist solely for me in this Star Wars weekend. Things do not exist solely for individuals, but rather for general uh, consumption. Um, but, Pete, you thought that was shocking, the 42. How about this? Can't he stake it for... His daughter. Yes. And the face that Jeremy Irons delivers here. He says it's impossible, Matt, for one, because like a lot of people who are upset about Watchmen and Star Wars and Star Trek, they've never given themselves to a woman. Pete, we get a little more filling in of the blanks here. Uh, True, knowing that behind the portrait of Alexander the Great is the vials. And True, adding that beyond a cleaning woman uh, is the one who stole one of those vials and left. With that, Vite says that she was a thief. Therefore, uh, the genius of Lady True is stolen and he offers her nothing. Uh, That's what he started with, which let's not forget the graphic novel says that as well as... uh, I believe last week's episode was some of the uh, some of the uh, in-universe footage stuff that he had a fortune, got rid of it, um, and he will never call her daughter. Tick tock, tick tock. Yes, the the watch uh, ticking, transitioning to the manor on Europa, where he checks the watch, he closes it. Um, he has maybe the strangest birthday celebration ever wearing the purple and gold uh, iconic outfit under what looks to be a robe later revealed to be a blanket um, with a cake made of dirt (laughs) and eight candles that are unlit that he blows out. And there's rumbling a tripod squid like spacecraft 
lowers from the atmosphere. He throws off that blanket, grabs his lucky horseshoe. Going to need that. Moves that bed. Of course, he's made a tunnel out. And the shrub outside lifts as a pod is lowered from the space vehicle and a ramp opens. Vitey Dufresne tunneled through a mile of (laughs) Jupiter moon dirt. And you know what he found on the other side? Salvation. Vite is walking towards that spaceship, Pete, rather like the cock of the walk. When the game warden calls him off, Vite says he will not stop and he gets shot at. Vite falls down, his eyes open. I think a moment of just shock completely here. Uh, But he has caught the bullet and kicks the game warden down. The game warden is quickly up again. With that, the uh, staff of Phillips's and Crookshanks start to arrive, perhaps to watch, certainly not to be involved. The game warden beats him, then gets stabbed, stabbed by the horseshoe that has its two sharpened edges. The staff lines up, and the game warden dies, being told that he wasn't a worthy adversary, but he did put on one hell of a show. Yes, and... uh keeping him sane uh, Vite all these years to have that adversary. The Crooks, Shankses, and Phillipses divide themselves on two sides of a line and uh, tell him goodbye, including uh, the last Crookshanks with who crowns him with his iconic band there, wishes him Godspeed as he boards a spacecraft, an automated voice welcoming Adrian, uh, preparing him for launch. There's a great moment where Irons just affects this old man fumbling, you know, for all his genius, he's never been in a space vehicle. Um, and as it lifts off there, the three legs in the grass have formed the eyes and the nose of a smiley face with the circle lifting up, you know, between that, between catching the bullet, the callbacks here in the finale to the graphic novel, strong as ever as uh, artificial gravity is enabled and he leaves the atmosphere. We see the full message. Save me daughter, the journey to earth having begun in order to prevent dehydration, starvation, potential insanity, He's asked to step into the chamber for preservation, places his hands on his hips, and is sprayed with gold. So two thoughts in this scene, Pete. First is, as the as the production now leaves Wales, where all the uh, manor stuff was shot, it's amazing to think that all of this that has been described thus far invo- involving Jeremy Irons, not just from this episode, but everything in this season was shot before they shot anything else of the show. So this notion that like, I mean, I'm sure if you totaled it all up, we're talking about roughly an episode's worth, you know, roughly 45 minutes worth. So the idea that Jeremy Irons did an episode of Watchmen over a week, you know, 10 days, maybe even two weeks when you do some of the effects and some of the extra stuff for uh, Crookshanks and Phillips, but that he did an episode and then went away for, what one can assume is months and months and months and months and then showed up in uh, Atlanta, Georgia to do this episode. It's just, that must have been a bizarre experience. On top of it, as you say, Pete, he's covered in gold and I was having cold sweats because I've had a pretty good theory track record for Watchmen this season. 
Uh, and I was not on board with your theory that Vite was actually trapped in the statue uh, in Lady True's uh, headquarters there in Tulsa. And as soon as that gold started to fall on him, I thought that I had lost another theory. Thank goodness just this once I was able to squeak one out. Not dissimilar <laughs> to what was squeaked out by Jeremy Irons last time, but I digress. Yeah, uh, somebody's got to cobble together all of Vite's time on Europa into one episode. I'd love to see that cut all together. Um, and his his genius throughout this season just sprinkled in like so much paprika. Um, we're wheeled into Lady True's uh, sanctuary now. Uh, the the time given to us beyond is at the controls with prominent triangles matt again calling out the graphic novel the the pyramid company that is a front for adrian veidt there's hissing lady true enters and explains to beyond her love uh the timing of this is not ideal but she needs to do it now because it's possible he fight is going to say something and uh she deduces and just the way the state the uh scene is staged uh after beyond says i'm your mother uh the the ding that sounds in the background is just delicious indeed pete that reverse uh toaster treat now ready to come on out of the, the cold freeze there uh he's given some water um, he's told that uh, Vite saw the message, uh, pardon me, that Lady True saw the message uh, and wonders what it must have been for him to cave like that. Um, he croaks out that Manhattan sent him there to Europa uh, and that Manhattan is here passing as a human. Uh, we then get again at about the halfway point here a very clear statement of the episode's drive. Lady True is going to destroy Dr. Manhattan and absorb all his power and that's happening in about an hour. She has brought Ozymandias back to see her achieve everything that she has made from nothing. Oh, and she's got a costume change for him. Something a bit more appropriate to a man his age. Uh, just little cuts here and there building up. Yeah, as he examines Beyond and then finds out for herself that uh, she has cloned the mother. The mother the thief, of course. And his knowledge of the mother from before just putting it all together so well done in terms of the reveals in this episode she told her he might say something but the millennium clock now activated all blue team personnel please report to the transport bay for deployment um vite realizes that she has built her structure that uh, she wanted him to stake her for uh, a pod exits the uh, the top of the millennium clock. Um, she puts her hat on and they have a God to kill. We cut to the dreamland theater, which I don't know that it's been fully spelled out until this episode that it is right adjacent to the town square but we get dreamland theater we get many trucks pulling up pulling indeed into the town square they are true trucks lady true is among them picking up her papers in person for the first time uh, for the time capsule so true 
Uh, Vite, looking at one of the headlines, is surprised that Robert Redford is still president. The newspaper man thinks that he looks like Adrian Vite, you know, Ozymandias. It's not exact, though. Uh, our Adrian Vite asks, what happened to Ozymandias? Oh, he ghosted and no one cares. Indeed, the newspaper man uh, heard that Vite walked into the jungle one day and is now living with the animals. Like Tarzan or something. The uh, the headline of the Tulsa Herald, uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearings drag on. President Redford assembles shortlist. GOP demands delay until after election. Where do they get such delightful fiction, Matt? Additionally, over to the left-hand column, it says that Redford has identified several nominees. So it seems like there's a number of vacancies on the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. We know that John Grisham had retired. Uh, maybe somebody additionally had had retired. Perhaps, Matt, there'll be a a, a tenth entry of Pedipedia since there's no new episode next week. One can certainly hope. Uh, all there assembled here, the warbling of the Millennium Clock, or rather, its floating sphere. Uh, Vite gives a quote and says, it's the end. The end is nigh. Uh, back to rolling vehicles, ba- black SUVs roll on up to that abandoned J.C. Penny, uh, and a man in a wheelchair gives the Cyclops gesture. P.T. is decidedly not uh, Will, by the way. Uh, inside that J.C. Penny, a chamber has been built, and uh, the Seventh Cavalry members are congratulating each other. The old man is identified as Senator Keene Sr. Uh, and uh, Lori's still under guard there. Uh, she and her guard hear that uh, Angela Abar has come out of the house. Wait, something's going on as the guard steps away. And I think important, too, remembering that we have an audience of both just TV show watchers and then people who have come to the TV show from the graphic novel. Uh, Senator Keene Sr., the reason we had laws against masks and vigilantes so essentially the guy that outlawed Lori uh, and then had her on the run and uh, forcing her cooperation eventually with the FBI. So really the snake eating its tail. So Pete, as mentioned, that original guard has stepped away and who fills the spot but Wade, who has, uh, of course, that missing mask from a few episodes ago. We know it's Wade. Mirror guy? Lori knows it's Wade. Uh, the 7th Cavalry does not. He kind of side whispers. He'll get them out when he can. Uh, back to them overhearing things. Senator Joe Jr. says to take the shot, take the shot. Then suddenly Manhattan is transported into the uh, the transport cage there, and uh, Joe is happy. In front of the crucifix church set that they recorded their little 7th Cavalry video at the beginning of the season. Um, and uh, he got that blue F, Matt. Uh, but Angela... Uh, we cut to her for the first time in this episode as heavy as um, Regina King was featured in the previous episode. And she is breaking the fingers of the only seventh cavalry member left there. He's got seven left. She's going to start in on his teeth. Um, 
you know, the, the guy reads right from the racist tropes talking about Dr. Manhattan being too lazy or too stupid uh, to do anything. And uh, he, Dr. Manhattan, now in the cage in a meditative pose here. And we get the disgustingly delicious uh, Joe Jr. manifesto. Yes, uh, he's talking about Veidt's monster, not the squid, but President Redford. First their guns were taken, then they had to say sorry, then they had to be sorry for the color of their skin. Uh, there was no way out. Then Mike called from Gila Flats, New Mexico. Wait, he had just seen Mike 30 minutes prior to go shoot some cops. Only one person can transport folks, and that's Dr. Manhattan. How can Manhattan uh, being delivered to Tulsa be anything other than a miracle? Uh, and then continuing that, you know, answering of small questions, we are told that the cage is made of synthetic lithium from the old batteries, you know, that we saw them taking back in the first episode with this whole dastardly plan now laid out. Joe Jr. says now it's time to melt down Manhattan. Uh, also, Joe couldn't resist sending Lori down to investigate this. If only so someone who cares for Dr. Manhattan could be there when he is killed it's blue time all this in his stupid panties uh directly ripped from the pages of the graphic novel look far better on dr manhattan than they do on joe jr here um and uh you know he says that uh when he's the most powerful man alive uh that waving his uh, manhood in people's faces is just overkill. Yeehaw! With that, someone yells, stop. It is Angela with a gun. She's got a message. Lady True has outsmarted them, and they need to listen to her. Joe, however, is not worried. If Lady True is going to stop him, where is she? Uh, Angela points out, Pete, something that she might have heard on this podcast. Lady True's batteries are everywhere. I must confess, Pete, I don't know that we identified them as batteries, but Lady True gear is everywhere. Joe's not worried. After all, they stole them. They haven't been out tricked. Uh, he's going to squeeze Manhattan like a grape and drink it up. Pete, I think that had Senator Joe Jr. Um, survived this episode, he might maybe want to go into therapy to, let's just say, reassess his views on certain things like how he might feel about men. Yeah. <laughs> the switch is flipped and it takes a little bit after the ringing and we see a blue booth suddenly behind Angela to realize they've been teleported. This whole scene has been teleported into uh, downtown Tulsa, uh, particularly the Greenwood section uh, where that booth uh, is where Lori made her call, where Angela's car was dropped. So really a central location this uh atlanta exterior that they filmed in um overhead the orb that exited the millennium clock and then uh looking glass takes his uh mask off and barfs for the first time after being teleported he he the lori in the sense where the graphic novel did that with her and uh not only did redford take their guns, Matt, but now Lady True taking their guns. Lady True is there as well, fulfilling a promise to Will 
to get justice. We see Beyond working the sphere from her control panel. Lori sees Vite at this point. She's not dead, but the night is young. With that, True claps her hands. Uh, your ears may still be ringing, and you may be nauseated. Uh, you've been transported in whole cloth. But wait, where's Senator Keene? Is he in that chamber? Let's let him out now. He, of course, does not completely know everything about the sciences. Pete, he more a man of faith. She turns that click, click, click wheel, opening up the uh, the door there. And uh, Senator Keene is nothing but jello now. And we knew it the moment they flipped the switch that obviously his fate, the, uh, the, the, the mini boss bad guy of this season had been dealt with and doesn't even get the on screen death. That's how insignificant his character winds up being, but spills out everywhere. Um, when you go to absorb atomic energy without filtering it, it'll pop you like a water balloon every time. And here is a paper from Will Reeves uh, written to those there assembled. You represent the senior leadership of Cyclops, a terrorist organization. You have plundered and murdered in the name of white supremacy, including on this spot where the 1929 Tulsa riot was. Uh, Jane interrupts this monologue. Uh, Jane, of course, you know, Jane Crawford. Just do it. You're going to kill us, right? Uh, of course, true will. She pushes a button. The laser lights that we've seen in wide shots suddenly come down, zapping them all. And uh, sure enough, Pete, they are all kaput. Again, squid-like in its presentation, looking uh, up before they come down and take them out there. So, you know, the the panel-esque uh, and, and the cooperation with artist Dave Gibbons' presentation of this season just continues to yield visual rewards. Uh, Dr. Manhattan touches the senator's goo, not a euphemism, Pete, and Wade, Laurie, and Ozymandias are transported back to Karnak. Why? Because Vite has to save the day. Uh, Lady True is enraged. What did you do? We see Manhattan skipping in time, talking about Janie, talking about uh, intervening in Afghanistan, both callbacks to the graphic novel, of course. Uh, True does not need an audience, however, and she starts button pushing. Uh, simply, John is not able to stay in the present for very long, and uh, he was sent the other way to help, but Angela, but kept Angela here because he doesn't want to be alone when he dies. Don't touch the light, Angela. Looking glass in Karnak here helps us have a firm idea of the time that this season took. So uh, asked by Vite, when was the last time it rained squid in Tulsa three weeks ago? And we know he's in a position to know. So all of the action this season taking place firmly over a three week time span, at least the a plot um, just effortless exposition and catch up of the other characters uh blake revealing herself to now be the fbi's top vigilante hunter um and vite just wants to save humanity calls looking glass an ignorant hayseed uh they've locked and loaded tulsa meanwhile dr manhattan tells angela she needs to go now but she's staying 
and then we get the the oh so poignant uh music of the last two episodes here done on piano uh and he tells her as the flashbacks of their 10-year uh relationship come across that he's in every moment they were together all at once and then as the dr manhattan leaves him it's just cal there for a second tells angela he loves her before he explodes and she gets struck again with another uh shockwave sending her backwards much like when she was a child back in karnak uh it's quipped that it's rerun time except this time vite is going to freeze the squid and send them down like a gatling gun um Classic get, never gets old. <laughs> this is true. Uh, speaking of true, Pete, Lady True, uh, re, re, restating that she will save the world. Uh, however, this time uh, we have Veidt's observation that she's clearly a narcissist who cannot handle the power of God simply because she wants the power, wanting everyone to kiss her tiny feet. Narcissist, it takes one to know one. So, Pete, a moment of reflection here that though Veidt is a class a crazy person and narcissist we've never seen him at least to my memory we've never seen him try and get the power for himself so he's narcissist enough to know he wants it but sane enough to know he cannot act towards getting it at the same time self-deprecating and i think that's important uh meanwhile in tulsa uh angela is recovering and beyond is with her as the squid sirens sound, uh, there's a call to the Dr. Manhattan phone as cops are rolling up here, Red Scare and Pyra Jenny principal among them. And it's Lori Blake on the phone who is telling them they need to take cover, that it's coming down on them as Lady True is uh, almost messianic in the pod there in the chamber the, the shot uh, across her face to see the crucifix there again, that would appear on your comic book page. And all of this with the sphere powering up, 30 seconds to go, the kind of countdown to the squid happening concurrent to that. Uh, and Pete just mentioned the painting there of Christ as seemingly the first squid falls, or certainly among the first ones, one goes right through Lady True's hand, uh, mimicking the wound on Christ's hand. Uh, then we see the squids falling hard. Policemen, police women fall or hide, uh, or, or both. Uh, Beyond hides in the phone booth. However, Angela takes a, a hard case, a hard item, and runs under it. Uh, the sphere ultimately is bested before it can reach its full 30-second uh, countdown. Uh, it's falling, falling on True, who says, Mother Effer, just as Angela gets inside the Dreamland Theater. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're done with the large threat, and this really serves as a coda to this episode and the, the season at large. So there's Will in the theater, her grandfather, the children asleep on stage, the set of Oklahoma where we began the season it's amazing to think matt it's it's only been nine episodes but that it's been nine episodes and uh both the recap and the moving forward of this 
plot here, their discussion, grandfather to at once reluctant granddaughter now moving forward. Yeah, we get in a smaller sense, we get some maybe not questions answered, but we get some of the story knitted back together. Uh, Will says that making a deal with Lady True was uh, John's idea, Dr. Manhattan's idea. John met Will right after Will met Angela, and we saw some of that last episode intercut here now. Uh, The plan had been hatched from there. That plus Angela taking Will's pills. Now she knows everything, including his origin story. And Will reflects back to this theater. Uh, Almost 100 years prior was when he saw Bass Reeves the Black Marshal of Oklahoma in that uh, in that silent movie, Mister Trust in the Law, who is of course the source of Will Reeves' last name. Then Will realized there was a reason that uh, Reeves hit his face, so Will did too. Uh, what did Will find under the mask? He found fear and hurt. You can't heal under a mask. Wounds need air. It's a really poignant line, and the the callback to the anger and the need to get rid of it in a positive way, uh, not in a negative way, putting it into something, but to move past it. Very, very important. And to get toward the healing here, not being able to, you know, carry it around this anger anymore in the same way. Angela just having gone through the worst loss of her life, needing to move forward with this. We also have a repeat of the line, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Just just something that he had said. Uh, Angela does not understand it, but is told that uh, she will when the time is right. Hey, maybe Will can stay a few nights. Back to Karnak, Vite has got the OG owl ship, you know, the one that's been copied for police use, um, which technically isn't true. I mean, it was, you know, Dan Dreiberg who had made copies of it but whatever uh they can use it to get back to civilization Vite, however says he's not coming after all even with the dvd confession would they arrest him are they really going to upset things with the president this of course would make the world end uh, but ultimately Lori says yes all that might happen uh but he must be held to justice Vite asks who can hold judgment over Vite? who can have the audacity to clunk Wade knocks out Vite, and uh, the three of them head to the Owl Ship. Back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, Matt, where we're finishing up here. We've got the newly reconstructed, not nuclear family, but kind of nuclear family, <laughs> uh, walking through the, uh, the scenes of the Calamity the Dreamland Theater, it's a, just a great shot, now reads just Dr. M. And uh, beneath that, um, if you look really hard, the E, the N, and the D are visible as well. The other lights completely blacked out. So Dr. M and as if they're really driving home the point Uh, more about that in a little bit, but the children complete with Topher holding his stuffed boobastus, uh, survey the damage here as we begin to hear, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Um, and we transition 
to be on in the police car, Pyra Jenny helping her out. They go into uh, Angela's bakery where she unlocks her uh, room and Topher's eyes just really drinking all this in. Yes, he notices not just her safe room beyond the back, but he sees her sister night costume. Indeed, he looks somewhat impressed. Uh, she gets everyone into the car and slides out. Not exactly in the back. I think that maybe if they wanted to edit in like a back alley, they could have done a slightly better job. But uh, nonetheless, the action all the way over there to the left, her car pulling out, going away to the right. Uh, and in a panning shot, we see that the town square is toast, just absolutely blown to smithereens. Uh, back home. Now there's uh, smiley face, though, in the, uh, the wreckage of the uh, sphere. Absolutely. Uh, back at Angela's home, the kids are safely put to bed. And uh, Angela walks into her kitchen, finding the Manhattan inhibitor ring. Will says he's going to go to sleep for two days and adds that Manhattan was a good man. But considering what he could do, he really could have done more. It's at this point, Pete, that Angela notes those broken eggs on the floor. Yes, and recapping that conversation from before, uh, that perhaps he could transfer his atomic components into organic matter. Somebody could consume it and inherit the powers there. Um, Cleaning it up putting all this together with her having smashed the eggs before when he went to make the waffles when it didn't seem important in the previous episode. And uh, she's got that egg and heads outside. Yes. She's reminded that uh, somebody with those powers who may theoretically inherit them might even theoretically walk on water. So what is this egg's fate? She heads out to the pool, still holding the egg Uh, She eats it, and the camera moves in. She pulls up a pant leg. I am the walrus. Of course, the line, I am the Eggman, starts to play. But how will that foot land? It moves closer and closer and closer to the water. And the episode, the season, perhaps the series, comes to an end. Let's open the crank file to dive into some crackpot theories. Pete, let's deal with the biggest one right here, right now. When this episode ended, I was like, come on, you're not going to take a stand? Come on, little off. You know, have you learned nothing? But fair is fair, okay? Dr. Manhattan gave her the heads up about, you know, you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. We had in prior episodes this idea of imbuing uh, any organic thing, maybe an egg, wink, wink, with his powers Um, we have the notion that one who wants the powers is not worthy to wield the powers. She clearly does not want them. We kind of know in our hearts that she is, uh, she is able to, you know, she's kind of honorable enough to have them. The episode all but giving her his powers at the end, right? Everything is there. Um, for people to insist, there's no answer. I think they're being a little obtuse. See what I did there. Um, Sister Manhattan, Angela Abar, whatever we're going to call her, if we're going to return to this, and I'm very hopeful we will, um, you know, we're going to talk at length in our season 
possibly series wrap until we know that there's a, a firm decision made one way or another. Um, you know, all I'll specifically go into right now, the, the clapstick information at the beginning of the episode says season one. Um, Lindelof has said he does not have an idea for season two, or at least that's what he's saying. Um, does that mean, and he's said that he would love to watch somebody else take a go at this. My, my phone is ready for the call. I'm, I'm ready to help in whatever capacity. Uh, let's, let's not forget that, uh, doc Jensen, Jeff Jensen was a podcaster of lost who wound up writing on this show. So somebody help me out here, HBO. But um, maybe an anthological style series. I think there's a lot of jumping off points. And again, just because Lindelof is saying, and this was the dream gig for him uh, to do this, that he doesn't have another idea that he said everything he wants to say doesn't mean somebody can't come in and, and pick it up from that. Uh, but come on, the the episode title, uh, see how they fly, see how she flies here at the end. Undoubtedly, Matt, she walks on water. Um, what would have happened had she not taken the egg? Does it get cooked into a waffle and the, the kids suddenly are every time in human history or uh, it gets put in the disposal and, uh, goes elsewhere and suddenly fish are, uh, you know, imbued with Dr. Manhattan's powers. I, I think it was really the only direction to go when you set that up. I mean, he had broken the egg before, uh, drank it, reabsorbing it. Um, and this is the direction they went in. I'm fine with it. I know you expressed a little bit of, uh, reserve. Yeah, I think I, I think I just needed to process the ending for, you know, 10 minutes after the episode ended. I think that one of the episodes, or one of the lessons rather, that I think can be learned from TV in the last 20 years and maybe learned best from the finale of Lost, although I think you can repeat it for Game of Thrones, you can repeat it for a bunch of things, is for as much as people are into theories for a show part of sticking the landing is saying is saying very clearly here's what happened the end like there are no more theories and i think that this episode uh maybe not not there are no more literally the number is zero but i think that all the things that this episode checks off in terms of steps along the way i think that that's meant to be there you know i don't, I don't want to overly read it as lindelof was surprised by the bad reaction quote-unquote bad reaction to the lost finale and it's you know scarred him ever since and now he carries that with him i just think the way tv has evolved is you need to sometimes spell things out i think there's a lot of things spelled out by this um by this finale initially it was like oh come on give me the ending one way or the other let's not forget pete this is watchman the graphic novel definitively you know, Vite saves everybody at this terrible price, but the, the the math of it is sensible, and all that needs to be kept is the secret. And then in the final two pages, looks like the secret is going to get out somewhere. We just saw three million people, or at least the proxy of them, in times. Uh, pardon me, in uh, in Herald Square, we just saw three million people get killed, and the price was high, but worth it. But now it's going to get out, and 
the graphic novel too continues uh regarding the notion that maybe this series or this series as envisioned or this as a Lindelof series does not continue I know sometimes you can sometimes when you read the Hollywood Reporter and Deadline and Variety sometimes you're getting this very uh intentional PR blast you know like oh man mysteriously whatever pick your pick your flavor mysteriously Kathleen Kennedy gave an interview to this one and Filoni gave an interview to that one and Favreau gave an interview to the third one and it's all very you know, it's this, it's, it, they clearly divided and conquered. Other times, though, it's like getting this real specific blast. And I know that a week ago, the Hug Reporter had an article where Lindelof was saying, as you said, Pete, you know, I kind of don't have ideas. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. And it's like, oh, does he mean it or not ahead of the final episode? And they had a quote from, uh, from Regina King. Would I like to do another season? Yes. Absolutely, she said. Yeah. yeah. But a week and- later, it's well you know it's kind of a more well you know we'll see not that she's not enthusiastic but she's directing a movie right now i mean they they have other things to do supposedly the contract was for multiple seasons with the actors okay and and the business end of it will always get sorted out absolutely like it would it would have been a poor job business-wise to be like oh let's just get all these people for one season and and i don't know versus lock them in because you know in between season one season two i don't know pick your pick your cast member i know regina king and and uh jeremy irons have both you know gotten oscar gold and this and that the other but pick your person maybe pirate jenny goes on to oh on her you know uh as part of her college work oh surprise surprise she just found the cure for cancer now oh man we can't get this actress back you know who knows all for lack of a contract but just again the fact that regina king has dialed it back a little bit i think maybe somebody said to her oh my goodness, this quote of, yes, absolutely, it kind of got out in a way that people, in a way that suggests that you're ready to go and other people aren't versus everybody's on the same page in terms of we'll see. Yeah, I mean, her enthusiasm is is certainly there. And it it was for someone who was in the process of winning an Oscar at the time where they were filming it last year. Um, This a total star turn for her. And something that she's really going to be remembered for years and years from now, whether it continues or not. E- even if the story continues absent Angela Abar, Sister Knight, uh, Manhattan Knight, whatever we're going to call her. What I really love, you know, the idea two and one in corporate there, uh, she, she's with John. He is within her. Uh, really, really beautiful the way that they came to that. And again, they've been they've been hinting at this throughout the season with the egg, with everything else. So, of course, she's going to be able to walk on water. What would it be like for somebody to get these powers secondhand? What exactly would she have? You know, there's there's been a lot of analysis about Dr. Manhattan in the last two weeks since the reveal, the number of powers and then, or, all right, what are his weaknesses? Um, tachyons. Okay. Now apparently, uh, old school lithium batteries and, um, Angela Abar, uh, Lori, uh, Giuseppsic Blake and, um, Janie Slattery. Those, those are his weaknesses. Uh, 
certainly a common thread when one looks at Lori and Janie and uh, and now Angela in terms of Dr. Manhattan loves the ladies. Uh, I'll add to the theory pile, Pete, something meager, the final uh, installment of PDPedia, final question mark, the ninth installment, certainly. Uh, it is from a, uh, a, a high muckety-muck at the FBI, basically summing up this side Agent Dale Petey story that uh, he has been relieved of duty. He would not come back to Washington, D.C. Uh, agents have been sent to relieve him of his badge and gun, and he's fled off into who knows where, uh, presumed now to be some sort of masked vigilante, that he has become the thing that he hated. Uh, and that his office is being completely, uh, you know, dismantled and all the stuff taken out of it. If anybody wants, uh, you know, some of the, the records that are in there or whatever, it's kind of all up for grabs and <laughs> Agent Dale Petey. So if that's the end for Agent Petey, I feel like it's been a good little behind the scenes arc. Well, the last two weeks have really hinted that Petey was Lube Man and the, the thing not ultimately detailed on screen and my hope it's the complete season two story is who is lube man and and what happened there but they found canola oil or something like canola oil in pd's office when they were raiding it you know the fbi director writing the memo there he's going to keep the the nine inch nails uh records because his kid loves that crap and um they suspect that he's become a vigilante and uh, also that Lori Blake is back, that she is in an undisclosed location being debriefed by the FBI. So telling them everything that went on um, and don't ask me because uh, the, the memo writer doesn't know uh, what she knows. So, all right. We we can accept. I mean, it would have been silly to cram in the, the lube man stuff into this episode. Um, but it's out there. It exists. They talked about, you know, when they pitched it in the room and, and just how well it went over and, and that they had to do it. And that to me is, is one of the more fertile launching points potentially for a season two. But if you don't get back to it, Lube Man is always going to be able to slide right into our hearts. And I think if on final view, if the presence of Lube Man was always meant to be unresolved on screen, and if it was, if indeed Agent Petey showing up for the handful of episodes that he was, if ultimately he was there not to give Lori somebody to talk to in terms of exposition, but really to kind of anchor this deeper tinfoil hat existence where he can go on his website on PDpedia, you know, kind of his website in quotes. And you can, you can see all this stuff if you're an Uber fan. Um, and to maybe, you know, if you build off the Westworld um, fan experience, to take the conversation a little bit off of the best and brightest all working together on Reddit to decode things, you know, 75 minutes into a season and decode it perfectly. And instead, you kind of have a little bit more control over theory dribs and theory drabs on the PDpedia website. If all of that was constructed for that kind of extra bonus fan plusing, it's a really, really cool addition. I kind of want to, I'm tempted to wag my finger and say, but some people might watch and now have lingering questions about Lube Man. And ultimately, to which I think you could just say, 
and there are extra weirdo people out there. And Lou Man ultimately was not a big thing in the episode he was in, and it's a small enough detail that if it's if it is unresolved in the main body of the show, it's kind of no harm, no foul. I mean, it definitely gets your attention, and it's a cool thing that he slides into this sewer grate. Uh, it does feel like a non sequitur in the grand course of things and unresolved. You almost wish, you know, Angela would go back to Calvin at the time and be like, and this dude slid into the sewer. If only somebody had really great powers and could find him right now. But if she's got the powers, Maybe Matt, just maybe somewhere out there. Can, can can I pitch my 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 season two idea? Well, you know what, Pete, when that phone booth rings and it's Damon Lindelof <laughs> on the other end, absolutely. So we'll, we'll we'll hold off on some more of that for the the season wrap. Um, the fridge, Matt, with all the vials. So the discussion later on, once it's been pilfered, of course, is that Adrian Veidt was uh, never uh, in a relationship with a woman sexually. Why is he keeping these vials? Well, the short answer is because Story needed lady true to have a baby daddy i think if you want to lead or rather read into some of veit's arrogance you know him not wanting it to go to waste or him saving it for f- the future of humanity for for what he might not know but it sure is the most you know there's gold in them dar hills since he's the goldest golden child of them all i think it works into the character uh and into the character's mindset if you were not inclined to give the show a gimme that they just needed a way for <laughs> him plus mom to lead to Lady True without him breaking this thing from the comics that he's disinterested in passion from either male or female. I mean, I can buy it, but it just begs the reason. And he calls out the, the need to not experience hedonistic activity like Alexander himself yet what is he doing a hedonistic activity and saving it i think if if the show is going to offer up one more bit of justification maybe it's you know young john here he is rescued from the from the crushing blow of uh, nazi expansion thankfully rescued by the original lord and lady of the manor but here they are like it's nice that they've opened up their home but they're not working that hard you know let's circle back to the line here meant for dr manhattan you know the the lord and the lady they're doing a lot but could they have done more like could they have taken away from their time from canoodling to i don't know save more jews from the nazi holocaust uh maybe there's some sort of association with um with uh with things going on there one of the strands matt that could be picked up Obviously, Lady True's demise, but um, we had the first beyond uh, that it's never clear what happened to her. We know that she died. Um, We know that she had uh, Lady True. We have the second beyond now, the clone. And I think 
you know, no pun intended, that would be really fertile ground to continue the story. I think it could be. Do I love it as a do I love it as a future storyline? I don't. And I kind of now that I've had the time to digest this episode and its conclusion where you both get everything in terms of you know these powers to somebody who you know kind of in a Jesus sense to whatever degree that Dr. Manhattan was was non-human and I know of course he had the human origin but like he was kind of the Holy Spirit and Angela having this experience as both you know human and now presumably the powers of God and she being the the best served one along with her humility to serve out humanity uh I like that as an ending, and I also agree with Lindelof. I don't know where you go from there because if she is, if she is the the, if she is you know Jesus Manhattan, then she's going to say, "No more nuclear weapons." Boop, the end. Now I therefore promise not to use my powers again. Like she, you now have wiped out all conflict, and conflict drives stories. So, what you're proposing is kind of secondary to something awesome, but the story has said there are no more amazingly awesome things because we've now solved every problem. Well, the, the squid subplot, um, that several characters now, let's talk specifically past Vite and, uh, Lori, who already knew, uh, Dr. Manhattan knew, uh, sister Manhattan, Angela would know. Um, and then you've got, uh, Wade Tillman, you've got looking glass and that we know that it's an automated system. Would it continue indefinitely? Would it eventually run out? It hasn't in the nine years that Vite had been away from Karnak. Um, so, do you continue to perpetuate this hoax or does that somehow become part of the narrative going forward where Vite was all but certain if it stopped these extra dimensional incursions, then the superpowers of the world would point their arsenals at each other once again? I think therein you get kind of the, the sad irony which is also the sad irony that the graphic novel ends with, which is we want to live in this place of truth and honesty and, you know, realizing the nature of things. But as Lori and Wade, uh, and of course, Vite, but, you know, Vite presumably on his way to some sort of, you know, black site prison, um, as, as Lori and Wade leave, you know, we know Lori has already been okay once keeping this secret. One can imagine that Wade would as well because it has been a net good. They haven't nuked each other. Now that Wade's biggest concern of cephalopods reading his brain, now that, that that's turned out to be a lie, that's the bad news. The good news is it's now one less thing to worry about. Wade lives in the 2019 that has no tensions between the U.S. and Russia, no threat of nuclear mutually assured destruction uh, from nuclear bombs and no threat of cephalopod incursions. That's a pretty good world to live in, even though it's built on a lie. And is he going to be the one to blow it up for what purpose to then you blow up the secret and then nuclear war starts and 
Wade Tillman is the person who killed everybody in a certain sense. Nobody will ever know that, but he'll know that he's the one that doomed the planet. So again, there's this thing of you know maybe too much truth, too much access, too much freedom. Is it too much? I think both the graphic novel and this season say yes. The uh, carbon vite bath that uh, turns him gold and uh, allows him to travel a great distance and brought back home that we were staring at the statue the whole time. He is old. The hints were there. Um, interesting connection, Matt. Alex, the uh, Alex, the great Alexander, the great <laughs> the respecting Alex, the, Alex, the G to his homies, you know, back <laughs> in the day, his coffin. And, and it's, it's not a, a massive, thing taken in its own but extended to this his coffin was hammered out of pure gold and that vite was sealed in the gold here statue style like the original night owl statue hands on hips uh i just want to say in gratitude to the writers yeah i think as a thematic echo it was good surely as soon as as soon as the decision was made for him to be, you know, space frozen in gold, it must have been, oh man. And then people, then we cut to the gold statue and people think that he's been the statue all along, which I feel like is, it's the episode having a little bit of fun with the audience, a little bit of nanny nanny poo poo, but they of course quickly set things right within a scene or two, set things to, to that truth with a capital T. So it's all good. The newspapers that Beyond had been collecting and now... Lady True, the last time to the Mr. Newsstand, uh, this time capsule, were they, w- was this the ultimate, uh, you know, viral marketing? Was there to be a, before she was Mrs. Manhattan, she was Lady True and here's all about her and here's the time she lived in? Uh, I think so. I mean, I think that there's a certain... If one is undertaking a time capsule, you do so with a certain humility, but then also a certain arrogance because as a purveyor of Pete's backyard time capsule, you know, it's Pete who's saying, here's what's going to go in and here's what won't. And I think similarly, we get that we get that altruism of it's her time capsule to capture life before she saved everything. But presumably she's controlling what's going in there and what isn't. Looking Glass told uh, Agent Blake he came back to get something. We never find out what that is. Came back to where? So he's found by the 7th Cavalry guys, and then he says he came back to get something. I guess I had read that as came back to get his alarm although i know that that doesn't fully jive um yeah i feel let me put it this way pete i feel like if this was a 67 minute episode i have to wonder was there a 75 minute version was there a 90 minute version um i will assume that this is the best version since of course they don't need to fill you know 42 minutes per hour in order to fulfill commercial requirements therefore a 90 minute with commercial would be such and such i'm assuming this was just the best version i'll piggyback off your point to another super small one 
we don't have it telegraphed, spelled out for us that what landed on the Clark farm was, uh, was Vite in the returning spaceship. I think we, it can we be. We do. We've been, we've been told by Lindelof. So. Eh, but that's, the, my, my point ship, is this. It's not in the, the it's not in the show. The ship hit an asteroid and went off course. That's what that was about. Then I guess my, I, it's not a huge complaint. I think any reasonable person watching it, getting done with the season would say, wait, what was this? thing oh wait now we understand it's the ship coming back plus it's a cool way to introduce the character i will declare at least from my perspective i'll say it's a little bit of a party foul it's a little bit of a story foul when it takes the showrunner to explain a thing that people weren't clear about because the show didn't offer enough details so now he needs to clear the record with entertainment weekly or whatever versus you know does she or doesn't she get the powers if he wants to say, well, I think so. Like that's enough of a That's a, that that's a story gray area. And the story is saying it's a gray area. The fact that something landed and Vite needed to land, that's clear enough. But the fact that they didn't connect the dots, I still say finger wag. The second shooter, the second seventh cavalry member to break into the a bar home on the white night was not dematerialized, but instead teleported. I'm talking about Mike in New Mexico. So here we assume the guy got scattered into dust. And it's an interesting story conceit that instead he was teleported and he reaches out to Joaquin Jr. And this is how he puts it together that Dr. Manhattan is in Tulsa is married to Angela Abar and hatches his bigger scheme. Yeah, and I kind of like the cyclical nature of it that that the demise of all of this was because Dr. Manhattan was undercover. Like they went to Tulsa to get away from everybody else and there they found the thing that ultimately undid him and that, you know, as you say, the uh the instinctual use of his powers and that then leads one two three four five through 50 steps to get you to the end of this episode Uh, i i like that from a story uh story presentation idea the uh story that um vite is quoting uh about israel being desolate and palestine a widow a widow is pretty involved it has to do with um Menereftha uh, steel. This goes back to uh, 1208 before Christ. And uh, it's the only surviving reference to Israel uh, from ancient Egypt. So really, really loaded with meaning. Um, It was translated for the first time in 1896 and uh, has heavy connection to Ozymandias and uh, Ramses II um, and uh, just a further through line into his identity and appropriation of that ancient character. I think that you see in this season maybe one of the greatest results of having a really lengthy, really intelligent writer's room I think that there have been seasons of TV in recent memory that maybe have done the mystery box better. Uh, And I'll mention Westworld yet again, Westworld season one. 
But I think, too, there's a certain point maybe because of the success of Westworld season one, you get to Westworld season two where it's like, all right, now my notebook is out and my pen is clicked. I'm I'm willing to go head to head with this show to try and get I'm going to get to the answer before the show gives it to me. Whereas I feel like with Watchmen, it, it took its foot off the gas in terms of the theory mystery box play at home stuff. It took its foot off the gas just a little bit to say. Well, let's kind of concentrate on characters and narrative here. And if you want to read, you know, eight combined pages this week uh, across three different documents on PDpedia, and if you want to pull out the, the detail that whisper, whisper, Vite and Redford don't talk the way they used to anymore, and, and this and that, you want to start to work on a theory, great. But you're not going to get there. You're not, you're not going to find the clue in episode three that lets you decode the fact that Mike got transported, not blown up, because you're not going to know that until we tell you. And until we tell you, it's kind of not a reasonable theory on the board. It's just one of these, you know, it's the, the, the whatever the phrase is, the weirdness of thermodi- thermodynamics. It's that whole, you know, the, it'll unfold only when we're ready to. It's kind of mystery box 2.0. Only when we're ready to and not when you figure it out at home. The nicknames for Dr. Manhattan little boy blue i get um and again the the winking not so winking racism that went along with uh, joe jr's epithet there but lady true refers to him as the big blue cheese which just seemed really incongruous i mean blue cheese uh, it seems to me pete like her insult is being offered by somebody who's not great at insults, somebody who maybe is not as familiar with the back and forth of some good old I burn you, you burn me. She's always been so superior that maybe she maybe she never, you know, trade traded disses at the lunch table or something like that. Uh, I agree it's not a great burn, but it's coming from somebody who's not necessarily predisposed to give them anyway. <laughs> I'm picking up some psychic transmissions from our audience. Starting as we always do, Pete, with our Twitter poll. Um, what did you think of episode 109? We had, uh, for one star, Broken Eggs, 3%. Two stars, Jello Justice, 0%. Three stars, Every Moment, 10%. And four stars, Blue Requiem, 86%. Uh, and I think that's roughly where I'd put the episode as well, maybe a 395 rounding up to a four overall a really really satisfying season finale let's hope it is a season finale some tweets here pete the first one from james it's at big killing we need more the second tweet from andre yeager that's at dr polo 1983 pete dr polo dr manhattan huh maybe dr (laughs) manhattan himself is talking to us this is the tightest written show i've ever watched it was like watching a nine-hour movie and the ending did Christopher Nolan direct it? I'm immediately going to watch it again. See you in 67 minutes. And last but not least, from David Dansky, that's at Fixed Fun. Oh, what a beautiful series. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Series two is coming our way. Uh, from his lips to Dr. Sister Manhattan PhDs ears, Matt. Uh, James, that's at Big Killen, had had responded to one of my tweets, and it's it's just too good to not read here. He asked me, do I secretly work in the writer's room? 
even got the statue right. My response to him and hopefully the uh, the the saints of imperfection and, and writers out there are listening. Not yet. Pete, normally we would now move on to an email from 7th Cavill Steve. Didn't get one this week. I actually uh, shot him a quick email back uh, earlier today. You know, hey, hope all is well. Thoughts on the episode. Haven't heard from him, so I guess we'll just kind of need to keep that on pause. I don't know if we if we hear from him in the season finale. I certainly certainly hope so. I know we haven't always agreed with his perspective, but we've always been glad to get it. The uh, the events of the last two episodes, Matt, might have made his head explode like Joe Jr. So uh, hope you're out there, Steve. Hope uh, you've you've taken this in. Hope you understand. Uh, you know, we we can agree to disagree and and still enjoy things. I know it's uh, you know it's a busy time of year for, for for most of us. I know for him, I think driving that driving that big rig for uh, Walmart, Target. If you want to say Walmart, I know it's probably equally busy. But uh, yeah, hope hope to hear from him and indeed Pete from all who want to share their thoughts about the season uh, ahead of that December 25th drop, a, a present of final thoughts. And uh, Pete, before we get to there, though, before we get to talking about the whole season next week, we have to thank everybody who has supported us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek for this season, making sure that week in and week out, all our bleeps and our bloops are working and uh, certainly a huge help to be getting that, uh, that vote of confidence. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. It only takes you a dollar a month to get you in there. You help us immeasurably, particularly at a time of year, all the bills coming across our uh, desks. So I uh, can't contribute. That's fine. You can definitely head over to Apple Podcasts and uh, it is free to leave us a rating. It takes a couple seconds to leave a review like the pair that we're going to read right now that are also entered into our raffle to be drawn on Christmas Day, announced who will win the special Watchmen prize package. First review comes courtesy of Phil Boots. The headline is Icing, Seasoning, and Gravy, five stars, and it reads, Love the Watchmen as best I can understand it on my own complex Story very well told. The podcast provides the proper seasoning, gravy, and icing that makes the show an even greater event for this senior citizen encasing the kid fan. You guys became my buddies on Jessica Jones, and I'm happy to have found you again. Ditto on all the above for The Mandalorian. Well, among all those positive words there, what puts a smile on my face perhaps the most is the common thread there that, you know, from Jessica Jones, you know, Marvel to DC's Watchmen to Star Wars, The Mandalorian, kind of, it's so, it's so satisfying to know that uh, not only are we having listeners go from one to the other, but in our own small way, Pete, little teensy tiny way, bringing people together. Absolutely. Next review here is by Al Shalant. And the headline is why John gave Angela his power question mark five stars. And it reads, and why did she accept the power so they can still be together since now she'll experience time as he did. So he'll always be with her. 
Also, PDPedia appears to verify PD equal lube man with the canola oil line. And even last week's fog dancing memo slash summary has some heavy lube man origin implications. Pete adding to the bounty of theories there, helping helping get those eggs into the waffles. So certainly both reviews very much appreciated. As we head into the final turn of season one, Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk about Watchmen as an entire season? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,963 followers, can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P, with the H, like it today. Pete, when next we talk, Watchmen, the holiday season will be upon us. Uh, just a reminder, probably going to record that a little bit early. So get, get us your thoughts ASAP for the season. But uh, Pete, what a season it has been. I can't wait to kind of take a breath and then get have a little distance to dig in one more time to talk about Watchmen. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. And you may certainly not use my restroom. Good day.